are welcome to Faith to Faith broadcast. Enjoy the dynamic teaching ministry of Pastor T.B. Peters, the president of Renaissance Assembly Incorporated. This message will take you from where you are to where you ought to be. We have been dealing with the theme, learning from church history. And we're looking at the legacies, the mistakes, the way forward. Um, Several years back, I had been looking at these things. For us to be able to understand our apostolic heritage. And um, the Spirit of God had taught me a lot. And made me understand quite a lot of things. I have shaped my perspective in ministry. I believe it has shaped my perspective in ministry. And um, strengthened my focus in what I am doing. And I believe sometimes when I talk with ministers, pastors, men of God, if there's an absence in that perspective of church history, you see that there's a, there's a way, there's an approach, there's just a manner in which they carry out ministry that shows that... Um, that thing is absent. So over the while, as a matter of fact, in the last in the f- four years, we've been doing um, this school of ministry. The topic had been there since 2011. That we're going to address it. And so, um, some of the things, you know, I, when I hosted Reverend Emiko Amoshuka, uh, when you have people like that, we had to collaborate and, um, should I say, clarify certain issues that maybe we had read about to say, sir, you were there when so-so happened. What was your take on it? And then they begin to give you clarity. And some of the times they were just confirming what information you had already received. So learning from church history is to help us to avoid the pitfalls of yesterday and do better. Hallelujah. Alright? So look at the neighbor and say, we will do better. We must do better. We will do better. Glory to God. I'd like to read two scriptures. So in this morning session, let me read two scriptures here. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. In Jude 1 3, it said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly do what? Contend for the faith which was once what? Delivered unto the saints. So, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Sorry. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered what? Unto the saints. 
Now, it's important to recognize the fact that there was something that was committed to us. First, by the Lord Jesus Christ to the apostles, and then it continued. You see, we are not doing something different from what the apostles were doing. Hallelujah. It's like a continuity. Hallelujah. And so that flow is on. And we must understand that we have roots. We have where we're coming from. I'd like to read another scripture before we start running. Romans 15 verse 4. In Romans chapter 15 verse 4, it says there, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. Now, of course, this was talking about all the stories in the Bible, right? But it's making me understand that the things that were written down, the historic events, are for our learning. Glory to God. That means that those of us that came on the scene after Acts chapter 2 should do better than what they did. Amen. Because we should be able to improve on what they had. They had limitations that we might not have now. And I believe that if something has been thought for 2,000 years, there should be depths that people should get into that maybe they didn't have. Now understand something about the early church. The folks like Peter and the rest that were in the upper room did not necessarily understand the new birth before they came into it. It was while they were in it, they were understanding what was happening. Are you understanding me? Are we together? They didn't really seem to understand that, oh, this and this is supposed to happen. So, while it was happening, they were learning on the job, so to speak. They didn't have a preconceived or a previous plan that this is how church will run. This is how we are going to have meetings. They didn't have that. As the situation arose, they came up with what was going to work for them part time. Are you understanding me? With the leading of the Spirit. Now, much more those of us today that have seen things that they did that did not work. Should I give an example of what did not work? Okay, let me give you an example. In the early church, just pre, pre-Pentecost, alright, before Acts 2. When they were gathering, you know, they were gathering for a, a, a number of days, you know, God has spoken to them, or Jesus said to them, tarry ye in Jerusalem until what? You be endured with power from on high. So, those periods of waiting, they asked, they started talking among themselves, they said, look, we were twelve. For whatever reason, God chose twelve of us. And now, one betrayed Jesus and is dead. He killed himself. He's dead. So, let us replace him. And then, in their own way of thinking, 
They said, let's replace it. They quoted scriptures. They were quoting scriptures. Let his bishopric be taken. Let his office be taken. You understand that? And so on and so forth. They were quoting scriptures. But do you know what they did? The Bible said they cast lots among them to choose whether it would be um, Matthias or the other fellow. You understand that? Which of them would join them? Now, that we now know that that's not how God appoints leadership. Amen. And after casting a lot, it fell on that fellow. And they said, you are among the twelve. Did you ever hear about that fellow ever in scripture? It's not by accident. Permit me to speak pidgin English. You know, follow. The point I'm making is that they try to say, making us understand that this twelve that God chose was by divine election. Jesus did not cast lots. If you read in Matthew how he chose his disciples, he went up on the mountain and prayed. After that, the language was that he called unto himself whom he would and chose twelve. Amen. So, this thing was spiritual. And so, I'm giving you an example of when they didn't get it right. Amen. So, they chose. Now, of course, um, people have come up with different things. Some say Paul was supposed to be the 12 to 1, whatever. But that's not important right now. The important thing is this. Is that they were learning on the job. Hallelujah. They were learning on the job. They were going along and making the adjustments they needed to make. And uh, we thank God that I'm not one of those that were praying or wishing we were there in Acts. I'm supposed to be here now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And uh, I'm happy that I'm here now, not in that time. Glory to God. So, we are looking at church history because closing our eyes to church history could lead to repeating the mistakes of the past. Hallelujah. Alright? We close our eyes to church history could lead us to repeat the mistakes um, of the past. I also want to establish something powerful here. We understand that life can only be lived by looking forward, but it can only be understood by looking backward. Hallelujah. Alright? We live our lives by looking forward, but we can understand our lives better by looking backward. And looking backward means we're looking back at where it all began. The church of Jesus Christ was born in the upper room. <laughs> I was preaching somewhere a long time ago and I made, I, it was, it made something humorous. I said it was not born in a lower room. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. It was born in an upper room. Glory to God. Are we together? So, the church of Jesus Christ was born in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2. And it was born in power. We will come to that. Now, from that moment till today, God, through Jesus, is still building his church. Hallelujah. He said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. And the gates of hell, what? Shall not prevail against it. So the church of Jesus Christ is still being built. And when we recognize this, we know that we are co-builders. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 tells us that we then, as laborers together with God. Hallelujah. So we are co-builders. We are working with Jesus. 
No, I'm not just working. Ministry is not working for Jesus. Ministry is working with Jesus. Glory to God. We are working with Jesus. We are in a partnership building the church. And as we are building the church, there is a guarantee. There is a divine insurance that the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail. Amen. That means in the project of building, we will succeed. Hallelujah. We will succeed. But we must understand that we all have our roles in the building project. Hallelujah. And when you look through church history, you see that I made a statement yesterday. I said, you can view church history from that time till date. It has always been two things happening. Either the church turning away from the truth or returning to the truth. It has always been one or the other. Hallelujah. Turning away and returning. Turning away and returning. Glory to God. Alright. And that alone tells us that God has never left himself without a witness. Amen. No matter what had happened through time. And then I try to give a picture of all the seasons from Acts 2 till 2015. Glory to God. And we're saying that, look, the church of Jesus Christ had gone through several phases. Has gone through several phases, gone through several um, um, paths, experiences, you know. And it's proper that we understand what had happened. Now, I showed six eras of Christianity. I mentioned yesterday, just for the benefit of those of you that were not there. Six eras of Christianity, even if I don't focus on the dates now, let me just mention them and then help you see where we're coming from. The first era was recognized, and I use the P's, the P's, so it'll be easy to remember, is the era of persecution. Hallelujah. The era of persecution. It was called that, or referred to that way, because in that era, the church was born. The persecution continued till about AD 312. And when that was on, they were killing Christians, they were hanging them, they were doing this to them, they tortured them, but the church of Jesus was still on. And it is believed that in that era, I mentioned some things that were remarkable in that era, that number one, the flame of evangelism never died. Hallelujah. We talked about also the fact that in that era, we have already called it an era of persecution, there was strong consistent they live with persecution hallelujah persecution was part of being a christian the third thing that marked that era was that there are about five things I, I, i've listed about i just mentioned three the third thing that marked that era was that it was the era of formulation of truth it was in that era they decided who is jesus christ and what do we consider as bible hallelujah and those things were settled Jesus Christ is the Son of God that was fully man. Hallelujah. So, now, today, we understand it because we now know why there are four Gospels. We now know why there is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why was it not just John's account? Because God wanted, to see, wanted us to see different accounts of this Jesus. Matthew projected Jesus as king. Hallelujah. The king, the king, the king, the king that the Jews have been talking about, the king. No, meanwhile, Mark 
portrayed him as a servant. Hallelujah. As a servant. When Luke said, hey, 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 he was a man. Glory to God. Portrayed him as a man. Showed us he was born. So, so, and so. He said he grew in stature, in, in, in favor with God and with man. Hallelujah. Explained to us that Jesus grew. No other scripture took time to explain that. So Luke was established and this Jesus Christ was fully a man. He, 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 he got tired. He got hungry. He got frustrated at certain points. Then John said, hey, 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 my role here is to tell you that this Jesus is God. Hallelujah. Are we together? Now, these are the four Gospels. And it was on purpose that every account was clearly established there. Now, in the era, I'm talking about the era of persecution, the challenge was that certain heresies started trying to creep in. And one was, who really is Jesus? Because there were two groups. And those two groups up till date, have an influence on different branches or sectors of the church body. The theology of one group, which we refer to as the Ebionites, was that, hey, Jesus Christ was a good man, but he is not actually the Son of God. Hallelujah. There's something close to what the Jehovah's Witnesses would say. Are you understanding me? He's not actually God. He's not God. Are you understanding me? Yes, we accept there's Jesus, but he's not God. Then we have another group in that same era, there were the Gnostics. They were not so strong, but something like that has already started. And then their own um, statements, Gnostics, um, Paul addressed Gnosticism. John, the beloved, addressed Gnosticism in his writings. You have Colossians, book of Colossians, who establishes certain things. You have the book of First John, you know, he addressed it. The letter First John was not written to Gnostics. It was written to Christians addressing Gnosticism. Understand that balance. Now, the point is that in all those things, the Gnostics believe that Jesus Christ, yes, is God, or is the Son of God, but he's not, he was never a man. Hallelujah. He was not a man. He was never flesh. You know, in John chapter 1, he said, And the Word became flesh. Is that not so? And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, but this guy said, this guy said, no, he was not a man. And you know something about error, fundamental error, is that sometimes you don't see how far it will go, but it definitely will go far. Hallelujah. You know how you have a tear on a shirt? Eh? It's a small hole. If you don't patch it, it just starts getting bigger and bigger. Soon, you can't even use the shirt. That's how heresy is. That's why heresy is not something you treat with kid gloves. Are you understanding me? Not. It has to be confronted in an apostolic way and addressed. And so what the church in that age did was that they came together and said, look, these things are rising, let's address it. So who is Jesus? And when they settled that, they came up with a creed. And over there, there have been several creeds. Creeds are simply statements of belief. Alright? And what it means is that say, okay, this is what we have agreed on as a church that is our stand. And then that was established. But the church went through the stage of persecution. I just go through the other phases. Then, after the persecution, it came to the era of popularity. 
from AD 13, we came to the era of popularity where an emperor became born again in the person of Constantine. He became born again. And today, many emperors are still getting born again. Amen. Are you understanding me? So, the salvation of an emperor is not the salvation of the church. Are you understanding me? We must understand that, oh, a president or a governor, we are praying for presidents and governors and people in political leadership to be saved. But their salvation does not change the program of God for the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Are you understanding me? It was never written in scripture that the way the body of Christ will achieve what they are meant to achieve is if presidents and governors give their lives to Christ. It was never so. Because at that time, I mentioned yesterday, this man got born again. You know, later people were questioning, well, was he really saved? Yeah, he was really saved. He was really saved. But of course, he was a baby Christian, and then he came into the body of Christ, and uh, he felt that he wanted to do something for God. And so he came up, first of all, by bringing um, an act, what they call the edict or edict of Milan. And they came up and said, look, from now, Christians should not be killed again. Which is supposed to be a good thing. Glory! But we need Christians to be killed. We need them to be killed. No, no. We need Christians to be persecuted. Persecution is what brings out the best in us. You know, you know it, it doesn't sound interesting to the flesh. But that's the fact. Persecution. Jesus spoke about it severally. Paul spoke about it severally. He was right. He said, look, that they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution is not you getting sick. That's what we're talking about. Of course, you understand what persecution is. I'm talking to ministers. So, when persecution ended, because an emperor ruling the most part of the world had gotten saved. But he now added something to spoil what was supposed to be a blessing. Because that's how it is. Whenever man decides to help God, God gets into trouble. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Are you understanding me? Anytime man decides to help God, God gets into trouble. And so, he came up and came up with another decree or law, whatever you call it, that now everybody must be saved. Are you understanding me? So, you, you either receive Christ, it's by force now, you understand that? You receive Christ, or you, now, it was Christians that were torturing other people. Are you understanding me? <laughs> Glory to God. Are you understanding me? So, and it, the truth is that that was not how God planned it to be. Salvation is supposed to be something of a choice. Hallelujah. You're supposed to hear the gospel and choose to be saved. If God didn't kill people when they rejected the gospel, why will a man decide that? He will imprison someone for not receiving the gospel. And that was the beginning of another era of problems and challenges for the church of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So the era of popularity ran from about AD 313 to AD 590. Amen. After that, we came to the era of the popes. I'm taking them in peace so you can all understand it. We talked about uh, persecution, popularity, then the popes. Now, in my study of these things, I was asking myself that that era was about the longest, about a thousand years, which we have come to accept now as the Dark Ages, okay? Now, how will it be? What was the era of the popes? Of course, after the emperor got into 
become, he became like the leader of the church. So the emperor was both the leader of the state and the leader of the church. Are you understanding me? Okay? He was both leader of the state and leader of the church. And uh, the church experienced great wealth. Great wealth. Because everything was, you know, the church now had control. You know, sometimes we, we're still praying to have control. But the church had had control before. Amen. church had been, had been in power before. And um, I don't think it has ever worked. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Just had been in power before. And so in the era of the popes, okay, one thing that will help you understand this better is that when the, emperors, the emperor was in charge, he started introducing things of the world into the church. So the governance structure of the state became the model of the church. And you find that how the emperors rule is that as an emperor, they have subordinates, then they have subordinates, then they have subordinates all over, and then this guy gives instructions to the other group, and the other guy gives instructions to the other group, like that. That same structure, which now has been known as the Episcopal structure of the church, where you have, just as you have the emperor, you now have a pope. Are you understanding me? Then you have archbishops. You also have this. That was the same structure. That structure was the structure of how Rome was run. Hallelujah. Are you understanding me? Exactly. So, the church also adopted that. At that time, um, in order to curb heresy, they now had bishops in charge of territories. So it means that you pass your doctrine through the bishop of your area. So you say this is true or not true. This is accepted or not. But what had already happened is that because of the law that has been passed, that everybody must be in church. Everybody must be saved. You now have people that were not saved, but were part of the church. And some of them have grown in the ranks and become bishops. Are you with me? Some of them have grown in the ranks and are holding political, let me say, leadership positions within the church. So we had that years, about a thousand years, where they didn't want the layman to know the scriptures, so they will interpret to the layman what God is saying. Are you understanding me? This is what God is saying. Accept it or you let it. The church went through that phase. But we thank God that after that, about the early 15th or 16th century, we now had the era of the Protestants. So we take it again, go back to the P. We started with what? Persecution. Then we got to what? Popularity. Then we got to what? Popes. Then now Protestants. Of course, you know the names, some of them, Martin Luther. He's not the only one, but he was the most popular one that people get, got to know about. You know, then you have the era of the Protestants. That they began to protest and break out from the structure to say, this is not what the Word of God says. And listen to me, that thing was not ordinary. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And in that era, um, a lot of things happened. 
It was in that era that I would say the world really began to experience civilization. Amen. You know, modern technology, the era of the Renaissance, all the things I hear about America was born about that period. Are you understanding me? United States of America and all the things that happened in Europe was that period. That means that the light of the gospel has something to do with how far man progresses. Amen. Are we together? Alright? So, I, I just want to mention for those of you, then the last P, how many, how many have I mentioned now? Five? Four, okay. Then we have the progress, the era of progress. After that season of protestant, uh, the Protestants, then there was progress in the body of Christ up until 1914, um, based on the... So, let me give you the dates again. The Pope's 590 to 1517. Protestants, 1517 to 1789. Um, and then the era of progress, 1789 to 1914. Then they say the era of the present, from 1914 till today. Amen. There are two things I try, I want to reach. One is the charismatic movement in Nigeria. I want to get there. Hallelujah. I won't just stay there a bit. Uh, so I'm just trying to build. Then the second thing I also want to establish is the fact that um, what happened in Acts chapter 2, hallelujah, which should be a model for us for all time. Glory to God. Is that understood? Alright, so having said that, I was just establishing that these are the things that had happened through the church of Jesus Christ. Now understand that when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the body of believers. Believers in what? In Christ Jesus, some have died. Some are not yet in the body. But they are all the church. Alright? And this church of Jesus Christ, there is a prophetic word over the church. And then, apart from that, in Ephesians 5, I'd like to read two scriptures. Give me Ephesians 1, 22, and then give me Ephesians 5, 27. Hallelujah. Let me look at Ephesians 1. Let me just read 22 quickly, then I go to 5, 27. 22. Good. It said, and had put all things under his feet. Talking about God has put all things under Jesus' feet. And gave Jesus to be what? The head over all things to the church. If any other person tries to be the head of the church, it doesn't work. Hallelujah. He had given Jesus to be head over all things to the church. You know that prophecy in Zechariah 4, where he said, Not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The next verse now says, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? He said, Thou shalt be made a plain. Then he said, Thou shalt bring forth the headstone. He's talking about Jesus. Hallelujah. Now he was saying that he will bring him forth with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Anytime Jesus takes his place, People see grace. Hallelujah. Are you understanding me? Yeah. There will be exclamations of grace. Anytime Jesus takes his place, whether in a message, in your church, 
If Jesus takes his place, people will come in there and they will experience the grace of God. Hallelujah. So if people are not experiencing anything, um, if they're experiencing any other thing apart from the grace of God, it means that Jesus has not taken his place. Hallelujah. He has not taken his place. So as pastors, Jesus must have his place in your church. The reason why you are running a church is because you are an under-shepherd to Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Amen. So we're going to look at Acts. Okay, let me read Ephesians 5.27. Then we'll look at Acts. Ephesians 5.27. So he said that he might present it to himself. Talking about... Give me previous verse. Give me 26, please. Let's read together. Give me 25. <laughs> let's, let's. Good. Since maybe it will be an opportunity to talk to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself. So Christ gave himself for the church. Hallelujah. As Christ gave himself for it. Next verse. That he gave himself that he might sanctify and cleanse it. With washing of water by the word. So, the only agent that God uses to purify his church is his word. Hallelujah. It's not rules and regulations. It's his word. Hallelujah. So, but let's get to where we're going to. So, why is he purifying it? So that he might present this church to himself. So he's taking time decorating, cleaning it up to present it to himself as what? A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Now the word there, glorious, glorious church. The church in the age of popularity that I mentioned to you between 313 and 590 experienced glory. Glory of the world. Hallelujah. But that was not the glorious church. Amen. So, glorious church really has nothing much to do with earthly things. Amen. It is coming to the perfect stature of the fullness of Christ. That means there is a standard that Christ himself had set. Hallelujah. And only him can help us achieve it. Glory to God. Hebrews 12, 23. Hebrews 12. Let's go up a bit, 22, start from 22. We are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heaven Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, 23, to the general assembly and church of what? Of the firstborn. Hallelujah. Which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirit. So, we are part of the church. The day we got born again, we became part of general assembly. Hallelujah. Praise God. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 now. How the church was born. And certain things that we can learn from those significant events of that day. Um, I will just pick a few things. Hallelujah. Let me say this here. I think part of the challenge we have in the body of Christ today is that sometimes we are occupied with so many other things that we don't give attention to the things we should give attention to. Was, I think it was late at Bishop Bessie that outside I made a statement some years ago, you know. They were running a Bible school 
And then he said that this Bible school is not God's will for the church. But he said, but you started one. <laughs> How will you say that what you started was not the will of God for the church? He said, yes, Bible school was not the will of God for the church. So, like, what are you talking about? He said, because it is the church that is supposed to train the believer. But we've set up Bible schools because the church has not done it. Amen. Are you understanding me? That people coming to church, why are they coming to church? They're supposed to be coming to church, he said, for the perfecting of sin, so that they will do the work of the ministry. Glory to God. So, this thing I'm teaching, I'm talking about here, is supposed to be taught in your church. Amen. In the formative years of your Christian faith, you were supposed to be taught church history. It's not for theologians. Amen. It's for believers to know where you're coming from. You'll be amazed to know that, oh, as we said, we're talking about this, it's only some people that are really serious. You know, some people that are serious with ministry. You know, serious ministry. Yes, you see, God called me. Those are the ones that we come for learning about church history. There's always say, ah, uh, Isaiah, are they going to lay hands on us? No. Uh, what do I want to do with church history? <laughs> I guess I As I lay hands on you, if you know church history, the lay hands will do something better. They do something better. Because you will know that it's not Pastor TV that is laying hands on you, it's Jesus that is laying hands on you. Amen. You will understand. So in Acts 2, we saw the church born. The church was not born in weakness. It says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place, in one accord, and suddenly... Now this, in that Acts 2, let's point out something. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a, of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they appeared unto them, what? Cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That means the church... Service, church service, church service. You know what they were doing before the Holy Ghost came? Church has not started. They gathered as Jews, just Jews, 120 Jews gathered. But that day, Jesus was about to give birth. Heaven was about to give birth to the church, to a body of believers that will be here until Jesus comes. Hallelujah. And they were born talking in tongues. <laughs> they were not born doing any other thing. They were born talking in tongues. The church was born with vocal expressions of power. So in any era or dispensation that belittles tongues, You already know that there's a deviation. And I don't know why they called it a Pentecostal experience. As though it belonged to, is an experience that a group of, or uh, yes, a sect in the body should have. No, 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 no. This is church. Tongues is church. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is the church. Tongues have been prophesied long, long time before now. Of course, you know, most of the time when we talk about tongues, we, we start by, oh, glory to God, I just feel the power of God. Amen. You know, we talk about Jesus in Mark 16, where Jesus said, look, 
and these signs shall follow them that believe. He said, in my name. Alright? They said, they shall speak with new tongues. But that was just Jesus validating something that the prophets had already said. Isaiah 28, verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. He said, whom will he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? He said, they that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the mother's breast. Then, later on, he got to a point where he now said, hey. he said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Amen. He was talking about tongues. If you read further, I said, this thing is the rest and the refreshing. Amen. So, Isaiah prophesied that God will communicate with the God kind. Amen. With stammering lips and a tongue that is strange to them. Yet some of them might not understand. But that thing is the rest. That thing is the refreshing. So the church of Jesus Christ, everybody that calls himself a believer started in tongues. It was not charismatics or Pentecostals. It was church. It started in tongues. If people claim that the first pope is Peter, which is not true, hallelujah. If they claim so, he spoke in tongues. Is this one speaking in tongues? Amen. He spoke in tongues. He spoke in tongues. You should follow your first pope. Yeah, he spoke in tongues. So the church was born that way. That means in our churches, getting people filled with the Holy Spirit is where we start. The get saved and get filled with the Holy Spirit. See, save filled with the Holy Ghost must be in the same package. Are you understanding me? Together. Save filled with the Holy Ghost. Save filled with the Holy Ghost. Not saved. See the Holy Ghost if you want to. Go and think about it. No. Say feel the Holy Ghost. So I'm showing you some significant events that marked the early church and should stay. So they were filled the Holy Ghost. Next thing we see in verse five. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. For sake of time, I will skip some things. We are confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And here how, sorry, and how here, and how here we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia. Skip to verse 13. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Amen. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunken as you suppose. He quoted Joel and explained that this was what Joel talked about. 
blah 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 blah. Verse 21. Amen. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Skip to verse 30. Peter preached a very long message. Amen. Verse 36. 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both what? Lord and Christ. Now, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, what happened? They were tricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now he said, Be saved. But he, he, he came, salvation and, the, and receiving the Holy Spirit was together. Hallelujah. Be saved and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> he was not preaching salvation separate from the infilling. Amen. He preached salvation and the infilling together. Hallelujah. Now, why did I come here? Look at verse 41. Let's read it together. 41. Read it together. They gladly received his word, were baptized. That means that after the tongues, they didn't go back home. They started preaching. And souls were saved. That means tongues. Evangelism. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's how the church started. The same day the church was born, everybody spoke in tongues. That same day, there was crusade. They say, let's let the church settle. We'll soon have and be back. We'll, let's plan for the program. No. It was born that same day in 24 hours. 3,000 people got saved on the day the church was born. Hallelujah. So if our churches are not born to save souls, amen, what did we start them for? Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. That's why I told you that in the era we, we talked about of persecution, that the flame of evangelism never died. In that era, they reached their world with the gospel. They succeeded in reaching their world with the gospel. And that was the drive. So that passion and drive for evangelism must continue. Hallelujah. Let's read down. I think it stops at 47, but let's look at 42. Then, so go back to 41, please. Let me just check that. So, then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day. So, they, they, they got born again. They were baptized and brought into the church. And there were 3,000 souls. Um, I'm not teaching on church growth now, but, you know, I was saying that they counted them for them to know how many they were. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
Of course, we know the kingdom of God and church is more than numbers. But numbers are important. 120 in the upper room. They counted. That's how they knew they were 120. Amen. When they were 12, he said they were 12. When they became 70, he said he sent them out 72 by 2. Amen. <laughs> Why were they giving us the number? Just say, many went. Several went. Few went. 70. Now he told us they were 120 in the upper room. So the church started with one. The church, the whole world church started with 120 members. And now, now there are how many? Billions. Alright? Of people. So your church too will grow. Amen. Speak in tongues and evangelize. It will grow like the early church. Amen. <laughs> Simple. Amen. If you know nothing else, speak in tongues, evangelize. Your church will grow. 42, please. I'm almost out of time. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Good. And fellowship. And in breaking of bread. And in prayers. So, the focus now was that these people that have been saved, they need to continue. Hallelujah. So they started teaching them. Glory to God. They started teaching them. And if you look closely, because they were teaching them, evangelism did not stop. Because later, the last part of it, it says, and the Lord added to the church. That means people were still coming into the church constantly. Amen. So the flame of evangelism never dimmed. Amen. In your soul as a pastor, that flame of evangelism must never dim. Amen. Do you know why I'm saying this? Now, in the body of Christ, you have a lot of people that are catching truth. But the challenge I see some of the time is that there are some people that, they just love themselves. Whoa, glory, glory, enjoy the Spirit of God, enjoy the Spirit of God. Come, let's do it again tomorrow. Let's, they, there's no evangelism. <laughs> are you understanding me? Are you with me? There's no evangelism. No, it was not designed that way. When we get blessed, when we come out, we touch lives. Amen. And bring them in to join us and be blessed. Glory to God. Then you also have people that want to be out evangelizing. And there is no fire. There is no tongues. But they are doing destructive evangelism. They don't reach people. Amen. So there has to be a combination of both. Glory to God. We just read down so I know I finished this. Verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I don't talk about the miraculous again, alright? 44. And all that believed were together, you see, love, and had all things common. Amen. And sold their possessions. So it was love that gave birth to giving. Amen. And then they sold their possessions. And goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meats with gladness and stillness of heart. Last one. Good. Let's read this together. I want to go. The Lord added to the church daily such as what? Such as should be saved. What we saw in Acts chapter 2 is what should never die. It 
without a clear perspective of church history, you will make the minor things major things and make the major things minor things. Yes, I We started church. We've never had time to pray together as a church. But we're concerned about the rug being of high quality. We've not led one soul to Christ since we started the fellowship or the ministry. But we're concerned about Doing something that people will respect. Are you understanding me? And so, these deviations as a result of not understanding what, 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 why are we doing this? God doesn't need you to do anything great for Him. He just needs to do what he wants you to do for him. Amen. Are you getting me? There is something you were wired for. Find it and stay there. Hallelujah. That's your gifting. That's your calling. We will not be remembered in the kingdom for the big things we did will be remembered for the things that was committed to our hands to do that we did. God didn't intend that ministry would be a path to hide what pressure for you. I was talking to a minister that was having a program, you know, and then they were having a program, they were preparing for the program. And the things they wanted to do, things were not working out, things were not working out, so he called me over the phone and said, Sir, we don't know what to do. I said, Is it God that told you to do the program? I said, Yes. Okay. Anything he does not provide, leave it. He said, Yes, sir. I said, See, sleep. It's not, it's not my ministry. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we'll do the parts. What I'll be worried about is that God told me to do something and I've not done it. Are you understanding me? But after I've done what He told me to do, I sleep. Oh, He says, hold a crusade. Okay, I hold the crusade. Am I the one that's going to make the miracles happen? No. Amen. Let me tell you why I'm saying some of these things. I was raised around power, manifestations, miracles, healings, signs, wonders. I saw it as a child every other day. My house was a house where those kind of things were happening. One other day, somebody's in the house, they have this problem, they need to be prayed for. Um, they will gather my dad and some other people to minister to the person. It was normal. Now, when I started ministry, as young fellows, we have youth fellowships, groups, you understand that, we preach here, then we call them youth clubs, 
you preach in this youth club, you go for this meeting, and there will be manifestations. You understand that? Things will happen. Then, before I started pastoring, I was more of an itinerary preacher. They invite me for programs and I minister. I did that for quite a number of years. You know, I go here, I go there, I go here, I go for missions. And I found out that people are inviting me sometimes for the manifestations. Are you understanding me? So, without knowing, it can put pressure on the minister. Are you understanding me? So, they invite you for the manifestations. So when we were younger, if the meeting did not tumble, you know, the twinness has not entered. No, 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 You understand that? Are you understanding me? But then I got involved in campus ministry, and I started learning the first lesson, the, the first major lesson was a particular year, I was in my second year in school. And I was already a leader. So I was to minister, and that day I fell ill. So they took me to some clinic, and then they gave me injections and put drip on me and all that. And so I was there. I, you know, that kind of thing where I've drifted, I'm sleeping. Then I'll just wake up and say, I have fellowship today. <laughs> you might say, Please sleep. Then I'll drift again. Then I'll wake up and say, I have fellowship today. You understand that? I did that several times, you know. So when I woke up, the last time I remember I woke up was about 4 o'clock or there about fellowship starts by 6. And I saw that it was already 4. And I'm still here. And I told you, I was pleading with her. She didn't agree. When she left, I looked, nobody was there. I removed everything and left. But I was very weak. I was wondering how nobody saw me because I was very weak. I crept out of the place and, and left. See, today they didn't see me. Amen. <laughs> so, I went, for, I went, changed my clothes. Some people even know I was not feeling well. Changed my clothes, dressed up, blah, blah, blah. Came for the service. So that day I could barely move. You know? And I was to teach on the gifts of the Spirit. First uh, Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts. So I came up on stage. I'll never forget that day in my life. Now, you know, some of you are used to, you know, somebody saw me on television teaching God's word. He now called me for that first time we started TV ministry. He now called me for. He said, um, Pastor TV, what happened? I said, what happened what? He said, I saw, it's you now, I saw you on TV teaching. I said, yes. He now said, um, I, how come you are showing yourself sitting down? I didn't understand what he was saying. He said, we know you now. You know, you should sit down now. When did you start sitting down? <laughs> I knew what he was talking about. You know. So, in fellowship, then, you understand how you are preaching. You know, it's, not, it's not age, it's not age. It's just that you've come into the element of what God really wants you to do. And sometimes that thing jumps on you. Are you understanding me? 15 minutes message, I guarantee you, somebody will be standing on his chair. I guarantee you. Ah. <laughs> Glory to God. One place I preach a message in the beginning. In the beginning! 
will not be drumming. Beginning, beginning, they'll be drumming. Beginning. Beginning. Three people are already healed. You have not said anything, no. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that, but that day now I was not feeling well. I couldn't run. <laughs> I couldn't shout. <laughs> so I came for fellowship, and uh, that was the first time I was ministering like that. You know, when I mean ministering like that in, in, in that in that kind of setting. So I came up and I said, "I'm going to teach." So I stood on the pulpit. I was leaning on the pulpit. From the beginning of the message, I did not move. That's where I was. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, let's open to 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. I was feeling like Pastor Deboe. <laughs> and I stood at one spot and thought God's word. Sometimes the message wants to make me move. And the gift of walking of the miracle I need now is standing miracle. <laughs> and then I will stand. And do you know, when I finished, maybe for an hour, I thought. Then I gave an altar call. I said, um, those of you that want to give your life to Christ, this was a, a, a campus fellowship. We had the highest number of souls ever in that ministry that gave their lives to Christ that day. Even me, I was wondering, on a day that we didn't call fire, amen, and all these things are happening, and I now understood that it is not in how I do it. And I now understood that I could sit on a chair and the power of God could still move. I want to show you another thing I understood. So when I go for meetings sometimes, I start learning how to do what the Spirit of God exactly wants you to do. And, wait, and how to stop when He has stopped. Hallelujah. So, Muslims, I'm coming for a meeting, and then they have already told people that, ah, this brother, he ministers like this. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. That's the expectation of men. Are you understanding me? Then I come for the meeting, and the Spirit of God says, teach on this. And I finish teaching. I remember those years, I would teach, and then I say, lift your hands, and then I pray a simple prayer, and I'm going. And then they'll say, ah, you didn't lay hands on anybody. That we lay hands, lay hands. And I said, it's not about laying on hands. I know what's happening. I will leave that meeting and go. And there will be as much testimonies as when I laid hands. Are you understanding me? And I found out that there are some meetings where people might not fall under the power. But everything around them falls under that power. And I learned how to teach and close the service. Amen. Amen. 
So there are some meetings where we come and sometimes just speak God's word after teaching. And then the Spirit of God says, It's done. And, I'm, and if it's done, I'm done. Amen. If it's done, I'm done. I don't need to do anything extra. But anything extra I do is what he wanted to achieve is what's important. And there's things that are happening where we're talking and people are getting healed. Amen. It was not a healing service. It's not a miracle meeting. Ah, I was in that meeting. And then it was that day that so so left me. Did they lay hands on you? No. Did they prophesy in your direction? No. I now saw what Paul called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. At work. The spirit that giveth life. Not by shakenomics. Amen. Are you understanding me? Then, of course, there are times when there are manifestations in that direction and you flow with the Spirit of God. Amen. Glory to God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We are the takeover generation. Battings have been passed from Jesus to Peter, James John, to Paul, to Pastor TB, to what's your name? Amen. It's in our hand now. It's our own turn. We are running. Amen. Are you understanding me? We are the ones like a relay race where this group batch passes to the other one and then they run to the other. First batch, Peter and the rest. We are the last set. We are the ones that we finish. Amen. And then the games we close. Amen. First and last is important. Amen. <laughs> Are you understanding me? Whatever lapses came up in between, the first and the last, we'll try and make it up. Are we together? So we are in a very crucial time in the history of the church. The things we're hearing, the things we know, make us more accountable. Hallelujah. So let the flame of evangelism never die in our churches. Let the power of God's Spirit Remain in our churches. Let these things be the main things. Keep the main things, what? As the main things. I love the power of God. And by His grace, we walk in that tangible power. But I know that the power of God is not, is not, is not just for the enjoyment of the church. Are you understanding me? That's how we get the world's attention. Amen. That's how we get the attention. That's how we get the attention. In these days, we will walk in that power. We will see more demonstrations of the Spirit and the power of God in the things that we do. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't forget that. I want to end on this note before we take the questions and answers. If we don't look back at church history, we might never really appreciate God's grace 
that it is displayed through fallible men and women. Hallelujah. Ordinary people like you. Amen. Ordinary people like you. If we don't study church history, we might never know that we should honor the heroes who paved the way for us today. There are people that labored. The Bible says God is not righteous to so forget his work. Your work, sorry, and labor of love. Then he said, follow them who through faith and patience. What? That means that there are examples that we can see and be inspired by. Praise God. Whatever you are doing in ministry, someone somewhere has done something similar. Amen. Did you hear me? Yes. It might not be exactly, but someone has done something similar. Lots of some people are ministering, you look and say, this is this stream, this is that stream, this is this stream. You can trace the roots. Amen. So we are coming from somewhere. Tell anybody we are coming from somewhere. Tell anybody we are coming from somewhere. Okay, in case you are not sure of we, say, I, I am coming from somewhere. <laughs> say, I have my roots. I'm coming from somewhere. Hallelujah. But don't forget, wherever you think you are coming from, we all came from the upper room. Amen. We all came from the place where they spoke in tongues because cloven tongues as of fire rested on their heads. Amen. And the flame of evangelism never died. That's where we are coming from. We are coming from a place where there were signs and wonders, working of miracles. Amen. That's where we are coming from. That's the root, the original root. Praise God. Our churches will never remain the same. Our ministries will never remain the same. I see the Faith Convention as a platform for something new pouring on our city. Yes, that's what I see. That's what I see. That's what I see. In the last four years or three and a half years thereabout, something has happened in this city. Something has happened. But you know, if there are others, generations after, they will be telling the story of our own time. Are you understanding me? But something is happening in our city. You know that song that, there's a, there's a song they used to sing. Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, please don't do it without me. You know that song? Don't do it without me. That means that your heart is yearning to be part of what God is doing today. Friends, He's doing something today. Never join the school of people that are saying, what's happening today? What's happening in our time? Where is the Spirit of God? Where is the Spirit of God? Come to Renaissance Assembly. You see the Spirit of God. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Where is the Spirit of God? I know where He is. Amen. So let your church or your ministry also be that way. If they are looking for where the Spirit of God is, come, you will see the Spirit of God. I'll end on this note. Years back, I was invited to speak in a meeting, and in that meeting, they, it was supposed to be a revival. You know, say revival. You know, people have different will say revival. You know, but what we understand is that when they say revival, they're talking about they want a move of the Spirit. You understand that? So, a revival. 
And so, it was a Saturday, they were camping. Uh, so I was speaker on the Saturday morning, the second session. I came in, and uh, I came in while the speaker that spoke before me was still speaking. And you know, the atmosphere was like Jesus, after he resurrected, has died again, not to resurrect again. Are you understanding me? That was the atmosphere. You know, like, just like you should tap your name and say, Did Jesus Christ die? Yes, Dana. Or something, something happened. Everybody was just cold, you know. The atmosphere was like someone died. They are mourning. You understand that? And then the man was talking. Where are the miracles our father told us of? The days of Elijah. The days of Moses. The days of, you know, was calling names, calling names, calling names, calling names. Oh, John Boyan, John Knox. I loved all those things he was saying, but I didn't like the direction he was using it. He now said, "This is the Ichabod generation. You are Ichabod. The glory has departed." Before I came for that meeting, why I even came late? I want to be with them from the beginning. Was that? I was laying hands on people in a meeting. God put feel He goes, pray for the sick. Instant healings. That's where I was coming from. And I said, and so he said, no more miracles. Hardly you hear somebody get healed. We are junketing around, calling ourselves Christians. So, I was looking at everybody. And I said, hmm. Yes, like he's saying the truth. So, man, the guy beats everybody with the baton of the law. And then the class said, in this same solemn atmosphere, let's welcome our beloved brother, T.B. Peters, to come and speak to us. I was asking, would they sing before they call me? <laughs> He said, no, just come and take over. Carry us in this solemn mood. Take us, take us, take us. There's somewhere God is taking us to. And I handed over the microphone. I said, mistake. <laughs> I said, I'm an apostle of joy. So I came and I said, we thank God for this solemn atmosphere. The attention in the solemn atmosphere is what I like. Amen. <laughs> but let me tell you something. That's the first time I made this statement. And I said... That there is no money in your pockets does not mean there is no money in the whole world. If you don't have money in your pocket, doesn't mean there is no money in the whole world. That there is no power in your life does not mean there is no power anywhere else. I said, an hour ago, I was at so place. And so so number of people came out to fulfill the Holy Ghost, and I ran past them, and they got filled with Holy Ghost. And I laid hands on so so person, and he was healed. I laid hands on this lady, and she was healed. That's where I'm coming from. So you, we are praying. God has answered your prayer. I have come with the revival. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I am the revival. The place broke loose. I said, now you say, where's the power of God? See it. Come. You want it? You want it? Take it. Hey! <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Are you understanding me? 
That's the power of God. <laughs> the power of God is real. There has never been a time there was no power of God. Even the ages they are calling that ages, there were pockets of people that were working in it. It's just that like it was not widespread. Are you understanding me? God has never left himself without a witness. If there's something you have been desiring praying about, there's somebody somewhere walking in it. <laughs> Amen. Somewhere, somewhere. Praise God. That times where in certain meetings that the Spirit of God reminds you of some manifestations. He said, okay, he said, remember that thing we did in so so place? He said, yeah, we're going to do it here today. <laughs> you understand that? And, and I understood that the Holy Ghost enjoys those things too. So you remember nothing we did in that place. Say yes, we'll do it here today. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. The dunamis. The gift of working of miracles is the gift of the correct translation in English is not supposed to be gift of working of miracles. If you translate it literally from the Greek, it is the gift of operating the power. Hallelujah. Are you understanding me? That's what literally is. That means it's a gift to operate the power. You understand that? So, the power, you can make it do something. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's it. It's a gift. Tonight to be heavy. Amen. Amen. Let's ask questions. Praise God. Lift your hands. Thank Him for tonight, today, this morning. Just give Him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We give you glory. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. 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 We give you praise. Moske protondo, liske pratanda, aske protoso, litelande eske protoso, ligedeske, latuske pranda, aske protoso, ligedeske. Marundo blosco protoso, lige dasca, platusca, prende esche, mundo brende disque, platusca, lira asca platoso. Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, please don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, whatever you're doing in the sea. Thank you for listening to this message. If you have been blessed, you can reach us by email on info at faithtofaithonline.org or call us on 234-806-361. 3560. You are big, blessed, and loaded. Thank you,